1: Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. We return
2: to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office equipment solutions North America-wide.
1: Yeah, Digitex does that.
2: D-I-G-I-T-E-X.ca on Oilers Radio. 630 chat. 630 12.33 in Edmonton, back here on Oilers Now. Brendan Ulrich with you. Bob Stauffer away this week. He'll be back on Monday. Some guests on Oilers Now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. A reminder, every Wednesday is date night at Roos Chris, where two can dine for $120. We will bring aboard Jonathan Willis here. In uh, 30 seconds or so, so rather, you can text us, 630-630, your Oilers top six for next season. You can also text us what you think about Terrell Owens potentially joining the Eskimos. Lots of feedback coming in on that one. Aaron says, I saw T.O. on The challenge pros versus stars this past season. He was such a whiny, self-entitled, you-know-what, who left the show because he couldn't handle the pressure. How is he going to handle a pro sports job when he can't even finish a charity event? Well, that's a fair point, Aaron. I would give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's matured and changed since his time away from football, but, uh, I mean, that was recent as well. So if you're saying he was on that show, I didn't see it. So I'll take your word for it. But yeah, perhaps, you know, he won't work in the CFL because it will be all about Teal likely if he comes here. I'm not denying that. I just think it would sell tickets from the Eskimo standpoint. And uh, on the field, he would be pretty good as well. I still think he can play. Maybe I'm wrong on that as well. But the fact that he can still run is a hall of famer at the nfl level still in shape looks like a million bucks i think he i think he 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 would still be able to play here in the cfl maybe i'm wrong though we'll get back to that as uh, we move along you can chime in on your oilers top six uh with our oilers topic of the day but for now we bring aboard jonathan willis from the athletic jonathan how are things going
1: good brendan how are you
2: Oh, not bad. It's always fun uh, talking Oilers in July. Um, I know you do it uh, daily as well with The Athletic. You're still uh, writing uh, content uh, throughout the summer. So how's that been going?
1: Well, I, I just took a few days off, which was really nice. But, uh, yeah, I'm feeling recharged. We're going to dig into uh, Edmonton's prospect pool and, and and dig into Because now that the roster is mostly complete, you can kind of – really start to dig in on individual players and say, okay, so how's the coach going to get the most out of this guy or that guy? And, and to me, this is actually kind of a fun part of summer where you get to do a little bit of a deeper dive and, and look back at some video and, and look at individuals in depth, which is it's hard to do during the year just because so much is happening. So it's a, it's a fun time for me and, and hopefully for our readers as well.
2: Well, it's been a while since we've talked to you, Jonathan. So let's just uh, get your overall assessment here, I guess, on what the Oilers did this off season. The less is uh, more approach, for the most part. Of course, uh, maybe Lonnie and Bouchard in the draft changed, uh, you know, the plan a little bit. Uh, but overall, what do you think of uh, the work that Shrely did this off season?
1: If I had to grade it, I'd probably say something like a, a B or a B minus. I thought it was a really solid summer. They were constrained by their cap situation, obviously. It would have been, you know, in a perfect world, I think you make a higher impact move, but from a cap perspective, that may just not have been possible. I love the Bouchard pick. I like that they didn't push things and trade up to get them, but they they read the draft correctly, and and were rewarded for that gamble, uh, they, they got, the, to my mind, the best combination of uh, best player available and uh, fit for team need, which is it's always great when you can do that at the draft. And because of Louchard's age and skill set, he's a guy who might be able to have an impact in Edmonton more quickly than you would expect a defenseman taken in that position. Uh, to do. In free agency, I thought they made, you know, Tobias Reeder being the big one, Kyle Brodziak, uh, Kevin Gravel, these sort of secondary guys. I thought those were smart, low risk, uh, low dollars gambles. Like they just, they just, they didn't do a whole lot. They just kind of took what was available to them and, and made the smart play most of the time.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, like, I love the, the Brodziak and Ryder signings. It's just you would maybe would have liked to, uh... See a more established uh, winger come in or maybe a more established uh, right shot defenseman. But uh, the cap situation is what it is for the Oilers. So I get why the moves were made. Uh, And now we look at uh, the depth chart based on what they have. Where would you, uh, we've been talking today on the show about uh, your, your top six for the Oilers next season and uh, I was talking how I maybe would start uh, Lucic on the third line, and I'd try Reeder with uh, poliarvi and Dreisel on the second line and then have Rowdy start on the top line just to see if uh, that connection's still there, at least to start training camp. I don't know, what would your Oilers' uh, depth chart look like right now in terms of the top six?
1: Yeah, I, I actually agree with you on starting Lucic on the third line. I think starting him, like, I, I thought he and Ryan Strome played pretty well together last year. I, I think Lucic still does a lot of things well, but obviously... You know, his scoring in the back half of the year was, was just not there. So to me, starting him in sort of a low-pressure third-line role and then pushing him higher if, uh, if his play warrants it, I, I, I think that's probably the smart move with him. I, I like the idea of starting Poliarvi in the top six and, and Reader to, to sort of augment that McDavid, Rnh and trio. And the, the sixth guy, you know, it's like Ty Ratty, I, I get the idea of starting camp with him there. I kind of feel like Kyler Yamamoto is going to win that job fairly soon. Like I, I'm just, I'm not convinced that Ty Raddy can hold that position, just given his his history. And, and Yamamoto's, you know, a very good player. Made the team out of camp last year. He's going to be an option all year because they can assign him to the American League. T- to me, it makes sense to try Ratty there, but also to give Yamamoto an honest shot at winning the job out of camp.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I agree with you as well. I don't know. We'll see with Raddy, uh, but I think he'll get the first uh, crack at it, and Yamamoto will likely have to earn it, uh, like you just talked about. So we'll see what happens
1: which, there. Which isn't a bad. It's yeah. not a bad thing to
2: have a player have to earn it. Absolutely. For sure, but uh, of course, Roddy likely has to earn it too. So he'll start there, and we'll see. Um, what do you think about Reader as a player? What like what does the uh, analytic uh, analytical community think about him as uh, as a player? Because he has speed, and it uh, seems like uh, Drysaddle likes him. So we, we hope that uh, they work together well. But what uh, what do you and uh, your other fellow uh, writers and bloggers think about him?
1: <laughs> I think with Reader, the question is what his overall offensive upside is. Um, yeah. He, he had a, bat, a down year last year, obviously, from a scoring perspective. I, I don't know that he's ever going to be a huge point producer, but what I like about him is he has experience in a heavy checking line role, like he was on that Marty Hansel line in Arizona, which faced you know the, the toughest lines around the league night in and night out. And so what he brings, I think, to Edmonton's top six, in addition to the speed component the team was obviously looking for, is he brings a lot of experience against high-end players, So whether he's playing with Dreisaitl or he's playing with McDavid, he's a guy who brings some two-way ability and and just experience in those situations. You don't worry about him wilting under pressure. And I think what Edmonton really needed more than anything else from their their big winger addition was a guy that they could play in any situation and be comfortable with. And, And Reeder does all that while at the same time adding speed, some scoring upside, and some youth. Which you know, like when you look at what was out there in free agency, there weren't a lot of guys whose age made them potential long-term fits. I think Readers one of those players who you look at, he could still be with the team five years from now, and and so this is so both a, a short-term bet and also a longer-term bet for me.
2: All right, looking down the lineup, uh, Brodziak, It seems like. You know, what they have down the middle makes a lot of sense, where he'll slot in. Uh, you have Strom, third line, and of course, the Stars uh, ahead of him with uh, McDavid and Dreisettel. Uh It seems like having Brodziak as a fourth-line center is an upgrade on what they had last year. What do you think about the, the Brodziak signing?
1: I, I've always liked Kyle Brodziak. Uh, I, I I was uh, pretty fairly critical when, when Steve Bambolini traded him to Minnesota, and... Uh, so it's, it's it's interesting to see that be rectified by a GM a little further down the line. He wasn't my first choice for the role just because of his age. I, I thought somebody like Nick Shore might make more sense. But he had a great season last year, um, particularly when you look at his line-mate splits, when he was on good lines, or well not, not great lines, but when he was away from, from a couple of players. He performed very, very well. And I really like what this does to uh, Jujar Kara because it means that assuming that those two start together on the fourth line, Todd McCollum's going to have a fourth line with both a uh, a high-end left-shot face-off guy and a high-end right-shot face-off guy. And I thought Carroll last year fared best when he was on left wing with a right-shooting center, and, and they could kind of trade off those those down low center responsibilities. So if, if that's how things work out, they're going to have a fourth line that can be trusted in the defensive zone and that can chip in a little bit of offense, too, and, and that brings the physical play and the size that, that every coach wants from his fourth line.
2: Where do you think uh, Kara can take his game, Jonathan? Because I'm getting a lot of text here from fans saying, "Hey, I'd love to see Kara, you know, eventually get a look uh, in the Oilers' top six at some point." He had 11 goals last year, after one in 10 games the previous year. But where do you think Kara, you know, can take his game uh, in the future? Like, what is the the ceiling, I guess, for Kara offensively? Well,
1: it's it's unknown at this time uh, the, my caution with Kara is just that he had a very good shooting percentage year last season and when you look at his time in the american league he was not a guy who finished you know a really high percentage of his shots so it might be that you know last year was really good obviously but it might be a little bit misleading in terms of his overall upside i kind of think he's going to settle into the, a bottom six center winger which and there's nothing wrong with that but at the same time, you look back at his history in the in the, uh, the BCHL. I think he was drafted out of Prince George. He had good numbers there. Um, he had reasonably good numbers in the WHL. Uh, they were they were a little bit disappointing. But that Kevin Constantine system he was playing under was was really really defensive. So there's an argument that his he has more offense to give than than just looking at his numbers would suggest. I, I still think he ends up as a bottom six guy, but. You know, Edmonton has some opportunity there on the wings, and if Kara comes in and does what he did last year, I, I think he has, you have to give him a look. Like, he'll he'll earn a, a, a look in a higher-end slot if he p- continues to perform at the level that he's shown.
2: Chatting with uh, Jonathan Willis here from The Athletic in Edmonton. Um, so I guess you look at the Fords. The group is where it is for the most part, Jonathan, but uh, maybe they, they make another signing here to add uh, a player late uh, here in the in the summer, or maybe invite someone to a PTO. Uh, is there anyone out there left that uh, you would have interest in?
1: Uh, if they're going to find somebody, I mentioned Nick Shore just because he's a younger guy, he's a right-shot guy, and he's a player who had really good American League scoring numbers. And then he, he ended up in L.A., and he ended up in more of a defensive role, so he can do the, the PK and the defensive center stuff. But to me, he's a guy whose NHL scoring numbers maybe don't reflect his overall level of offensive ability, just because we saw last year with the coaching change in L.A., so many Kings guys had breakout years, and Shorty sure me is a candidate for that. If you're not signing a guy, if you're bringing a guy in on PTOs, um, I, I don't know how interesting any of those players are. Sentimentally, I, I think Alex Shamsky would be a, a home run for the Oilers because he's coming off two injury-filled years, but he has a history in Edmonton they're weaker on the right side and you know maybe you get lucky and, and a pto is no real risk and at the very least it kind of forces guys like Raddy and yamamoto to stop their games to compete with him but i mean like you said the forwards are mostly what they are free agency has been pretty much tapped out
2: well, that's very interesting on Hemsky. I'd I before inviting him on a PTO just to see what he has, if anything, so why not? Uh, well, it's interesting.
1: Well, and the, the last time Hemsky was healthy, <laughs> which is a pretty big caveat, but, but two years ago he was very effective in a third-line role for Dallas, like just a fantastic third line with uh, Radic Fox. They played very difficult minutes, and he still was able to generate offense. So, you know, if, he's, if he can be that kind of player again, he's a guy who can play up and down your lineup. You know, assuming his health issues are uh, are resolved.
2: Something to think about there. Uh, so on the back end, the big uh, question mark for the Oilers, I guess, still this offseason is what happens with Darnell Nurse. So they sign him to a long-term contract or bridge him. It's likely going to be a bridge. Uh, I noticed that uh, Ryan Polak signed today with the Islanders a two-year bridge deal, but they haven't released uh, the average annual value yet. As far as I know, I haven't seen it anywhere. But I was wondering if uh, Nurse would come into a similar number as Sam. Of course, they were drafted in the same draft class. Polak may be more offensive than... Uh, he is more offensive than Nurse, he scored 10 goals last year, but maybe the the numbers would be similar on a bridge type deal but uh, what do you think the best uh, route of action here is for Shirely on Nurse? I mean, I guess they they can't really sign him to a long term deal because of the cap situation but if you did have cap space, what route would you go with the Nurse?
1: Yeah, unfortunately they're sort of boxed in, but I I go back and forth on this so the, the argument for a bridge deal is that because Darnell Nurse is primarily a defensive defenseman. Like, the, like he, he does bring an offensive component and ability with the puck, but he's not likely to run your first power play or put up major numbers. So you can bridge him and then presumably still sign him to a reasonable contract. Whereas the argument for the long-term deal is that he's, you know, he's, he's if he doesn't improve one iota from what he is now, you're still going to be able to trade him five years from now if, if he signs to a long-term deal because Players in his position just don't make very much money, um, you know, relatively speaking to to NHL defensemen as a whole. And he's clearly, uh, you know, at least a second pairing NHL defenseman. And I think a lot of people at Edmonton would have him higher than that. I I can see both arguments. I kind of leaned like 55, 45 to a long-term deal. But just given what Edmonton's cap situation was going into the summer, I, I have a hard time arguing with a bridge contract.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's uh, the route they will go as well. But, yeah, you can make an argument for either side here with uh, Nurse because if he did sign him to a long-term deal, it might look like a steal for sure uh, moving forward. But I don't know if the others can make it happen right now. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe they move someone out and then they sign him to a long-term deal. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Well,
1: and the thing is, if you look at somebody like Carl Alsner, the contract he signed last year, like, he didn't cash in in a big way. And, and Darnell Nurse, to me, is the kind of guy who's going to put up sort of Alzner like numbers in terms of ice time and, and points i mean you can debate level of play so I, I just like it's not like you're signing pk saban to a bridge deal and it's really going to burn you it, it's one of those things where even if you do sign him to a bridge deal that doesn't preclude you you know keeping him in on a on a reasonable contract long term anyway
2: i don't know what else we could talk about with the oilers jonathan Maybe we can go around the league here quickly unless you want to hit on the goaltending. are you confident in uh, talbot and uh, koskinen next season
1: Oh, reasonably confident. Well, I mean, reasonably confident in Talbot. I, I think Koskinen's a very much an X factor. Like they, they, the Oilers obviously have a lot of confidence in him to to give him the contract they did. They made him a real priority. Uh, you look at guys with his KHL performance and how they've done. It's kind of a mixed bag. So I, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of a. a it's it's debatable. You know, if you want to put that much cap space in that position. But what it tells me, at the very least, is that backup goaltending was a priority for Edmonton, and they want somebody who can um, spell Talbot off a little bit more than he has been spelled off in the, the last couple of years.
2: Just before I let you go, give me a team in the West and a team in the East that you think uh, improved the most this offseason. And uh, if you want to say Toronto, you can, although I, I think that's sort of a cop-out with Tavares. But that's up to you, so go ahead. <laughs>
1: I'll skip Toronto just because, uh, and I'm going to gonna indulge in the, uh, the analytics guys' blunder here and pick Carolina as a team in the East that improved a whole lot. I, I really like what they've done, and there's still some shoes left to drop there because like, I don't think they keep Justin Falk. Uh, with Dougie Hamilton on the right side, they just don't need that offensive dimension that Falk brings. And to me, like, I mean, people that admit to know this, right shot offensive defensemen are really hard to find in the NHL. So that's a guy they can cash in and, uh, and probably get some real value from without hurting their team much now that they're, they're so well set up on the right side. I'm also curious to see what happens with Jeff Skinner there. So it, it's, it's, Caroline is still a team to watch going forward. And I really like their gamble on Peter Mrazek. I've always been a Mrazek guy. Um, he, he had a bad year last year, but he, he's, he's very talented and he's, uh, you know, he's playing for his NHL career at this point. So between him and Scott Darling, you know, coming into camp last year way out of shape and really improving over this summer, you know, needing to prove that he's still a starting goalie, I think Carolina will be a lot better off in the East. And West? Uh, West. Yeah, that's
2: a little bit tougher. Um, oh, gee. Hmm. Do you like what the Blues did? They seemed to uh, go all in this offseason.
1: I was was thinking about the Blues. You know, I'm always a fan of those. Like, the the Ryan O'Reilly deal, to me, was a a big one. I I really love it when teams say, this is a guy who can move the needle, and we're willing to toss in however many average guys we need to to get a deal done. So, Buffalo got a pretty impressive package for O'Reilly, given the situation that they were in, I thought. But they didn't get... The problem is a little bit like the, the pronger trade out of Edmonton a few years ago in that they got a lot of assets rather than anyone who really stands out. Like Tage T- Thompson's a, a good pros, a, a good young NHL player. I guess he's not a prospect anymore, but I, I don't see anybody going to Buffalo in that trade who really brings what O'Reilly brings. And then you add that to how active they were in free agency. The, the Patrick Maroon contract was obviously a steal and you know, people will criticize Edmonton for not, for not doing that, but but the thing is, like, I, I doubt, you know, if St. Louis is in Patrick Maroon's hometown, he's he's not signing that contract, right? Like, that was that was a deal where, where location played a huge factor, I would think. And, um, yeah, they, they've just added a lot of really good players. I'm curious to see what happens with Pareko. He's been sort of subject to trade rumors the last few years, and, and I always kind of – I don't care if you have Alex Detrangelo. You keep Colton Pareko, too, and you just keep those guys on the ice 30 minutes each. Uh so I, I like their team, I like what they did, and, and they're going to be very, very interesting to watch next season. But but I kind of hemmed and hawed on them just because they had Paul Stastny for most of last year, who I really liked. And so to me, O'Reilly's more replacing him than than really upgrading them.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Jonathan, well, we'll do it again here soon. Speaking of room, by the way, we'll have him on the show tomorrow. I'll just uh, tease that right now. He's booked uh, for 135. But uh, thanks for uh, coming on uh, today, Jonathan. Hopefully uh, we can chat again soon here uh, during the summer.
1: Well, like you said, Brendan, it's, it's always fun talking Oilers in July. Uh, take care. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, man. Take it easy. Jonathan Willis from The Athletic. Great guy. He's a smart guy as well. I actually really enjoy listening to uh, Jonathan Willis talk hockey. He knows uh, a lot of stuff. Great follow on Twitter. So you can follow him, I believe, at Jonathan Willis. It's uh, 1254 in Edmonton. You can text us 630-630, all kinds of text messages coming in. What do you think about Alish Hemsky? Would you bring him in on a PTO? We can hit on that as well. As we move along, the Tuesday edition of Oilers now. It's 1254 in Edmonton, back after a quick timeout.
0: showroom on St. Albert Trail, fill your fan cave at ProAmSports.ca That's ProAmSports.ca 1256 in Edmonton back here on Oilers Now. Brendan
2: Ulrich with you. We have Kelly Buckberger coming up at 105, new head coach of the Tri-City Americans. By the way, Steve Hamilton, former Oil Kings head coach. He was uh, just hired today as the head coach of the Calgary Hitmen. So congratulations to uh, Steve. We will try to get him on the show tomorrow to talk about the move to Calgary. We also have Reed Wilkins at 135. he He'll join us in studio to talk about T.O. to the Eskimos. We'll get uh, Reed's top six for next season and uh, much more. I should tell you that on Friday, we will be giving away a power pack on the show. We gave away two last week, but on Friday will be our final power pack giveaway of the summer. And this one features... Games against the uh, Predators, the Battle of Alberta, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Vancouver Canucks. So on Friday, we will be giving this away. A reminder that Oilers Power Packs go on sale this Friday, July 20th at 10 a.m. 10 great packs to choose from at Edmontonoilers.com. But once again, your chance to win one of those power packs on Friday. It's twelve fifty eight in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout for the one o'clock news when we come back. Former Oiler Kelly Bookberger.